Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Hunt for Wellness podcast with Paul Martino, 57, Sippy Cup. It's another great day for wellness. And this is Bones bringing the packs of F3 Nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen. Health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis. Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom. And Pax, super excited to be back with you this week and to share another high-impact man's health journey. Uh, as you guys know, I get the privilege every week to speak with men all across this country and really dive into their own personal journeys and experiences and, and what they've accomplished with their health and wellness journey. And today's story is no exception. In fact, today's story is, a, is one of that's lasted many, many years uh, of a great accomplishment. In fact, this guest has ran 50 different marathons in 50 different states uh, as part of his journey. And uh, I'm super excited just to share that with you today. Of course, I'm talking about our special guest, Paul Martino, otherwise known as Sippy Cup in the gloom. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks, Tunis. Great to be here. Um, Good morning to you. And I'm excited to talk about my journey and uh, yeah, and see, see where we go with it. Well, great, my friend. Uh, as as I mentioned, uh, you have an F3 name. In fact, I learned of you and about you through another F3 PAX member here in the Fort Mill region, uh, Double D. He had mentioned that he knew of you and had a great story to share. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into it. Speaking of F3, let's, let's kind of start there. Um, obviously, you learned of F3 at some point. You went to a workout, a beatdown, and got the name Sippy Cup. So Give us that story about how you learned about F3, that first beat down, and why the name Sippy Cup. All right. Well, the Sippy Cup is a lot more recent than my uh, early beginnings with F3. So uh, I knew Tim Whitmire, OBT, way back and uh, on early January of 2011. Double D, myself, um, and OBT were on a 10-hour trip 
to Jackson, Mississippi, because uh, OVT and I were both on a quest for 50 states. Um, and he had just started a group the week before that eventually became F3. So the first official workout of this group was the weekend before. Dan and I were both involved in a boys running program called Let Me Run, which I was involved in for 10 years. Um, so it was an incredible trip, 10 hours of nonstop talking. It seemed like two hours. And Tim was talking about this uh, men's training program. And we were talking about this running program for boys. So um, Tim and I later that, uh, that spring, we did a double marathon weekend. Um, we hit uh, Iowa on Saturday and did another marathon in South Dakota on Sunday. And I posted up in Charlotte, in this in the cot at the end of the workouts um i was always known as tino and obt said this is tino and that was my name so fast forward 10 years later i was up with uh, double d at another race with a bunch of uh guys from the fort mill group and i was just the uh driver to drive everyone back down the mountain because i did that race and it tore me apart and I didn't want to do it again. So I said, hey, I'll just drive you guys down. Isn't that cool? Anyway, that night we go to a restaurant and I innocently order a beer called Sippy Cup. And Double D said, um, oh, that should be a new F3 name. And at the next uh, at the next workout at the COT, he proposed my new name. And uh, I can tell you a lot of funny stories of why I got the Sippy Cup name. But the funny thing is that name does fit me and Dan always makes fun of me double D saying uh, anytime I start whining or complaining he's like you need a sippy cup so everyone felt like uh, I should no longer be known as Tino as my lifelong nickname and sippy cup became the name <laughs> well what a story so it's odd that somebody brings you know a lifelong nickname into F3 and keeps it uh, uh, you know usually packs do a good job of of changing that up but i guess if obt was kind of called in the shots uh, everyone listened at that time that's right <laughs> you don't you don't you go with what obt says that's right it was that's so right. funny after double d changed my name to sippy cup i went back to obt for some support and he's like no <laughs> <laughs> So so what is so what does he call you in the gloom still Tino or does he get the sippy cup? Oh, uh, it's sippy cup, yeah. Okay, so it's officially sippy cup now. Wherever you post, yeah, yeah. And I, I usually these days if I post, um, it is down in the in the fort. Got it. Okay, so kind of down in my region a little bit more than the metro region yeah, and itself. And it's, it's mostly running related events. Yeah. So that seems to be your uh, love, passion, I guess, uh, is getting out there and running. Um, are you running still on a daily basis when you're not posting? Um, yeah, I pretty much run um, four to five times a week, probably five times a week as I'm training for, I always need an event out there. I need something in front to keep me motivated to wake up and get out there. Um, and my next event is next weekend in Napa Valley running the half marathon. Got it. So, and so then, and, speaking of Napa and Valley, and then end of March, place. I have, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, speaking of Napa Valley, it's a beautiful place to go. It is. And, uh, I mean, I don't know where, who's ever listening in the Carolinas right now, it's uh 80 degree days, but in Napa Valley, for some reason, it's 32 to 40 degrees. Oh gosh. Well, maybe it'll shift before you get there. Who knows? Yeah, it's not looking that way. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then in late March, we had a, a little event in the Outer Banks, uh, Blackbeard's Revenge, hundred kilometer, so uh, a little sixty-two mile journey down Route Twelve. Yeah, just a little sixty mi uh, mile, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the show today, because, uh, you know, we feature all types of guys with different athletic capabilities. And, and some people love the running. Some people love the rucking. Some people do more of the uh, uh, resistance training, uh, CrossFit or even obstacle course type of stuff. And so um, I think the neat story that you have is just this idea of hitting this goal of 50 marathons in 50 different states and just kind of the 
the perseverance and the persistence that's probably has to come with that and and the bumps along the way and not giving up and and absolutely achieving it. Now, how old are you today, Sippy Cup? I am 57. Okay, so 57. And you ran your first marathon on this journey at what age? Uh, 27. Okay, so about 30 years. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, ago was the first marathon, and then you finished your 50th how long ago? Or the 50th? I just did it this uh, past April. So um, Okay, a year, almost a year ago. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. I was uh, 56 just before 57, but um, I started my journey in the, uh, September 92, came home from my honeymoon and a friend of mine and, and I said, let's start training for the Charlotte Marathon. So that was when it began. And that was in uh, 92. And then um, it wasn't until 2003 where I got the idea. I heard about people running 50 marathons in 50 states. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to do that. I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, I'm not going to like force it. It's just, you know, life goes on and uh, I will gradually hit the states. And I never really saw the end until around 2019. Got it. So going back to that first marathon, getting back from your honeymoon, were you a runner prior to getting married? Was that something in your background as a teenager, young adult? Were you already doing runs? Oh, yeah. I was uh, pretty much running my whole life. Ran uh, high school track. Also, a little side note, I was a competitive race walker. <laughs> so, okay. uh, so I did that in high school and uh, attempted to run and race walk in college at Rutgers in New Jersey, um, but I had some injuries. So I had stopped. And then after um, college, you know, some four years later, five years later, I resumed running. Got it. So help me understand what race walking is specifically. Um, well, it's, uh, it's walking. There's two rules. You have to have one foot on the ground at all times. And, uh, and when the leg passes under the ground, it needs to be, the knee needs to be straight. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Olympic race walkers, uh, but it's, it's an Olympic event, 20K and 50K um, race walks. And uh, the elites, you know, the world elites can do 50 kilometers at uh, what's 31 miles. It's, uh, you know, in that six minute pace. So um, it's pretty incredible. But, but when you watch them, they're all floating off the ground, meaning they don't always have one foot on the ground. It's just so hard to see. Got it. Okay. So it's kind of a, a different looking gait uh, oh, versus yeah. running, but at a six minute pace, I mean, that's, you're, you're moving pretty quickly. I mean, they oh, are. Yeah, yeah. The hips are swiveling and the strides long and you're just moving. It's... Okay. All right. <laughs> Try to envision it. I, I've, I've honestly have never heard of it. And, and really, no, I really have not. So, uh, you know, I've seen people like, quickly walk and, and aggressively walk. And maybe that's what they were doing. And I just didn't put it together as an actual event. Uh, I just assumed it was someone walking very quickly to, to do that versus running. And uh, I didn't realize that was an actual sport a, and then B certainly did not know it was an Olympic sport. So uh, you taught me something today. I was completely well, ignorant there. And there is, um, I think it's a nationwide commercial with Chris Paul and uh you know the insurance and yeah he, uh, in the commercial he w wants to take up a new sport so he ends up race walking at the end and uh the funny thing is is uh an old competitor of mine from high school some 40 years ago who is now a you know a nash he's well-known race walker he's in the commercial with him and uh, so chris paul beats beats an actual race walker in the commercial so it's That's very funny. popular commercial it's probably the best <laughs> commercial ever made <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, to rewatch it with a new set of eyes now, understanding kind of what they're showing out there. Well, well, that's interesting. So you did the race walking, the the running kind of stuff in in high school and college. So that was always a goal of yours. Had you ran marathons prior to the uh, getting married? Uh, no. You know, when uh, in the seventies, uh, watching the Olympics growing up, you know, back when it was all amateurs. 
I was fascinated by the marathon and Frank Shorter, who won in 72, and I think he came in second in 76. And at that time, I remember uh, hanging out in the Caddyshack when I was a teenager with a friend of mine. And, and I said, hey, when I, when I grow up, I'm going to be in the Olympics. I'm going to run the marathon. And he said he's going to be in the Olympics and play basketball. He probably got closer than I did because he played basketball and coached college basketball. But uh, I probably missed qualifying for the Olympics by just an hour. <laughs> okay. So uh, not, <laughs> not quite an hour, that. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, uh, just an hour. Um, but uh, so anyway, I was always fascinated by the marathon. And then when I moved to the Carolinas in the 90s, some people were running marathons. And at one point I'm like, you know, when I really thought about it, I'm like, wow, I don't think I'll ever run a marathon. And then uh, my friend and I in 92 said, okay, let's train for one. And uh, when I finished it, I said, okay, I did my one. I'm good. And uh, now I'm probably 90 plus marathons down the road. And yeah. <laughs> and looking, and, and, and looking to do ultras and longer stuff now. Right. Well, you know, those that really gravitate towards the running sport, you know, they just can never get enough of it. So I think it's great. I've had the opportunity to talk in, uh, to, to quite a few people that just embrace the run. And uh, every time I talk to, the, you know, even guys locally, they always got some event coming up and it's always bigger and badder than the first one. So uh, must be the bug that you get that runner's high, if you will. So how did you do on that first marathon from a, a time perspective, just so that we kind of have a, a, an idea of the style of runner you are? I did that first marathon. I did a 318. I wasn't trying to um, qualify for Boston. I was just trying to complete, compete, uh, complete the marathon. And uh, at the time, Boston for me was qualifying was a 310. So I finished in 318 and, uh, and realized like, okay, I guess I can qualify for Boston at some point. Um, and then uh, I started to pursue that, which became another journey that lasted about 12 years. Uh, and, uh, and that's what I enjoy about running and marathoning. It's, um, you know, you set goals, but they're not, I mean, if the goal is easy, then it's not really a goal and it's not, something to keep working toward. So I like setting goals. I like working with people to set goals and accomplish tasks and really building a plan to do it. And sometimes uh, you fail and you, but you got to learn from that failure. And um, I always like to say, you know, it's a saying we used in let me run when I was part of that organization is failure is only failure if you fail to try again. So um, I tried again and again and again. And, uh, after uh, 12 years and 14 marathons, I finally got my BQ. Gotcha. So you were averaging about a marathon a year or so. Is that kind of what you did? Or did you take a couple of years off and ramp it back up? How did that work? Yeah, I did three early on. I did my first marathon and then I went for two BQ attempts. My second marathon, I missed qualifying by 17 seconds. Um and then I tried one more time and uh, it, in D.C. and it did not go great. Um, and then that was in the early 90s. And then 96, 97, we uh, started our family. So um, I backed off running for a while. And then in the, when my kids were young, I would run a marathon a year, but I wouldn't really train for it. So it wasn't like an attempt. I would just show up in Charlotte run and Charlotte marathon and do a marathon. And then, uh, in two early two thousands, as the kids were getting older and I had more time to get back to training, then that's when I started picking out different States. Um, and I had a, a decent marathon, you know, I ran a three thirty three, and, um, and I'm like, okay, I can get back to it. So that's when I started, looking at states and hearing about people doing this 50 state thing. And, uh, and that's where my journey began. Got it. Now. So obviously each state has, I'm assuming multiple opportunities to run a marathon within the cities of that state. Were there specific criteria you had as far as like, if I want to run a, a marathon in Colorado, for instance, like how much research or how much effort did you put into like where the marathon was, what time of year, uh, does that all factors? 
Oh yeah, definitely. So there was um, there's a website um, that I was in existence in the early 2000s. It's still in existence, marathonguide.com. And I would spend hours on it and just uh, read about different races. Um, and so my journey was, you know, it was about running the marathons, but more often than not, it was about seeing the country and vacations and spending time with uh, my family and friends. Uh, and the cool thing about this journey is it started before my kids were born. Um, and then we would drag them around the country at different races, you know, when the family was coming with me. And uh, last April, you know, they're 25 and 26 years old and they're on the sidelines, you know, five in the morning, driving the course with my wife, just cheering me on. And it was just pretty emotional just to think about these babies that were sleeping in like a, a restaurant during dinner after a race. And now here they are like playing a significant role in, in completing my journey. So it was quite a journey, but getting back to your original question, I would look at, it was different criteria. You know, if it was going with friends, do we want to go? Sometimes it was just a small rinky-dink race that we could get to. And then like, you know, in the situation with OBT, it was um, six different times. I did two marathons in a weekend to save trip money and time. So I would go to an area and run a marathon in one state and drive to another state the next day uh, and do one. Um, did that in Iowa and South Dakota, New Jersey and Delaware. I did what I called the New England Massacre, which was uh, four different states in two weekends. So I did um, New Hampshire and Maine. And then a couple of weekends later, I did uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island. So wow. uh, I, I call so it how, the New England Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how, how do you recover? So I, you run a marathon, let's just say Saturday. And yeah. then Sunday you get up and, and, and run a second one. What was the strategy as far as uh, recovery on that? Um, well, the strategy was prepare for it. And, and I would do, um, I would do a couple long runs a weekend, not, you're not two twenty milers, but I would try and average, you know, over the weekend, 30 to 35 miles. So do 21 day, 15 the next day. Um, and then just back off the pace. So when I was doing those, that was in 2012, I was pretty much a 320 marathoner and uh, 320, 325. So my goal for those four marathons in New England were to hover around 335. And that's what I did. Got it. The only thing is with um, the third marathon was Connecticut. Sometimes things just fall into place and it was amazing weather. So um, I... I wanted to, uh, halfway through, I realized that this was feeling great and I could run a BQ. So I ended up running a 324, which ran a BQ, but wasn't great strategy because the next day I was feeling the pain um, and ended up running like a 348. So uh, if I stayed yeah. on plan, I would have had two mild experiences of 335. But um, so, and then the other thing is like vacation. So you know, we went to Alaska for eight days and I ran a marathon there. And obviously when we ended in Hawaii, it was another eight days and a full family vacation. But we went to Colorado and, you know, throw in a vacation and and rafting down the Colorado River, going to West Virginia, rafting, going to Utah, a lot of hiking. And sometimes the marathon was at the end of the vacation. So, you know, I was kind of beat up sometimes. So it wasn't really about the race. It was about completing the race, but it was just experiencing a cool location with my family. Cause that was the ultimate goal was I wanted to see this country. Yeah, no, I mean, that's one of the things when I heard about your story that really resonated with me. I love the fact that it wasn't just about checking off a list of 50 States and, and 50 marathons, as much as it was making it an experience for you and your entire family and, and, you know, having two kids to be able to go and experience a lot of this country through that, uh, opportunity is, is just really cool. So tell me the, the most kind of wild marathon you ever ran in. I mean, obviously you get lots of options to choose from when it comes to choosing a marathon. Uh, anyone sticks out to you as far as just like unique, uh, experience. Well, um, the one in Alaska was, uh, 
See, I, I like to do unique races. I mean, the biggest race in Alaska is the Anchorage Marathon, but it's like, okay, it's just running in another city, but I wanted something a little bizarre. So when I read about the, uh, the salmon runs in Cordova, Alaska, Cordova is a remote city. You can only get there by plane or ferry. Um, and this was part of our Alaska trip. We spent the first four days in Cordova, um, took a ferry over there. It was a three hour ferry across the Prince William Sound or one of those. And uh, this race, when I read about it the first time, there were 12 people in the race and they drove you 26 miles into the wilderness. And they said each runner will get a van escort to protect you from bear and angry moose mama. And when I read that, I'm like, that's my race. And this was like seven years in advance. I'm like, I don't know when I'm getting to Alaska, but when I go to Alaska, that's the race I'm doing. So uh, when I did it, um, there were 36 of us in the race. And uh, it's, it was um, way out in Alaska. It was an old rail bed. So it was a rail trail. So it's this wide dirt road. It's like four lanes wide, but it's just a dirt road out into the wilderness. And it was a flat marathon. It wasn't like going up and down mountains. But there were ice glaciers on the right, glacier streams coming under the road, and the delta with all these crazy birds and on the left. So it was, it was awesome. And at the beginning of the race, I asked the race director, I said, where is my van escort? And she said, oh, there's too many of you now. We don't do that anymore. I'm like, there's 36 of us. So anyway, yeah. I ran 24 miles totally by myself. I mean, this was a straight road and I could hardly see anyone in front of me or behind me. So it was just me and these glaciers. And it was totally awesome. I mean, yeah, I was just out long... there just trucking away, 36 of us. Pretty cool experience. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, you know, a runner's dream really just to be out in the beautiful nature like that. I mean, barring no bears or moose mamas coming out of the woods. Uh, I, I could, I could see how that would just be an awesome experience. Yeah. Unfortunately I didn't see any, um, any of them. It was, it would have been cool kind of to, <laughs> to see, yeah. to see them. They say the, the moose are, are worse than the bear because the moose are dumb and they'll just hurt you. The bears will just, they won't really want to mess with you. Right. Got it. But yeah, since, uh, especially since you're not really carrying a bunch of food and, and bears typically don't attack people as much as they go after food things uh, right. anyway. So, right. Right. Well, and the, the, the aid stations are this, are this race, every four miles self-service. So it was like a bench on the side of the road and you pour your own Gatorade or water. Um, it, it was cool though, with, with a 5k to go, my family, my wife and two kids were running the 5k and it just, Timing worked out as they were getting dropped off and walking out of the bus. I was running by. So they were able to, they got out of the bus and were like, daddy. And they gave me high fives. So that was pretty cool. That is cool. That so they got only, to that was my only human interaction. I got it. So they got, they got to experience a little running in, in Alaska as well. Yeah. Now you said you had pre vacationed a few days prior to that. And then I think I heard a story about maybe you doing some, extraneous hiking prior to a marathon one time how often was that the case where you just were doing these other things and then like the marathon was like something you were just hoping you could get up and do at the end of the weekend i guess the most significant were this was uh, colorado and utah where you would want to go and hike but um with uh, colorado my wife and I went to my niece's wedding in September and we went up to Rocky Mountain National Park and uh, we just loved it. And we're like, we need to come back uh, with the kids. So uh, the following July, we went out there and that was in, that was 2015. We went back to Colorado and we, I wanted to hike this mountain called Flat Top Mountain, which is almost 13,000 feet. So we did that on Thursday and, uh, you know, it was, uh, we started the hike at six in the morning and we were done probably by, they say you got it by 1230. The th it's pretty consistent. The thunderstorms roll in and you want to be under the tree line. So, uh, and like clockwork, the clock hit that time and, and lightning flashing, but we were back at the car. So we hiked for, you know, seven hours hiking from probably about, 
7,000 feet to 13,000 feet and back down. And uh, two days later was Saturday morning was race day. And I climbed out of bed and I could hardly move. And I'm like, oh, Maria, I don't know if this is going to work today. <laughs> but I managed to, uh, you know, it took me five miles and I loosened up and I managed to keep clicking away and, and ended up doing pretty good. Yeah. Was there ever a time that you started a marathon and couldn't finish? Uh, no, but there was one that was very close. Uh, in Nebraska in 2020 during COVID restrictions, um, see, it was all supposed to end in 2020. I had six more marathons. They were all scheduled. Um, and I was going to end in Hawaii October of 2020. Well, then COVID hit. Um, and then one by one, all the marathons were being canceled. And then by the fall, you know, some marathons, they may go, they may not go. So I was like making decisions one or two weeks before a marathon, if I found out they were going to have a race. So this Nebraska one was happening and it was when Western Nebraska and uh, it was, it was also during all the fires out in Colorado. So the air quality was poor. It was like 70 plus degrees. It was warm, humid, um, and extremely windy. And nothing will de dehydrate you uh, faster than a strong headwind. And uh, that's what happened to me. And so this was probably state number 46. So I'm getting close. And it was not easy to get to Western Nebraska. So I started feeling that pretty much around mile 17, I knew things were going south in a hurry. And by 21, I was spending a lot of time walking. Um, and at 24.7, I was a mile and a half from the finish. And I was just sitting down and I told the volunteers, I need medical attention. I need some help. And so the ambulance came and, and uh, I'm like, I need, drink so they were giving me water then i was laying they had a medic cart and i was laying down in it and they were like you know you need to drop out of the race and my instinct was like i need nebraska i'm not dropping out of this race um and uh and i'm also thinking i don't want to spend another thousand bucks to come back out here so i need to finish this race so um i spent some time and i there you know and then I got sick and then the guy convinced me to drop out and I'm like, okay. And they put me on a gurney and they put me in an ambulance. We didn't move and we're sitting there. And after getting sick for a while, I felt better. And I said to the medics, I'm like, can I, I'm a mile and a half from the finish. Can I get out and walk? And they're like, we can, we can't touch you, but if you want, you can do what you want. So I unbuckled the four straps, climbed out of the, uh, of the ambulance. Oh, and when they were putting me in, the guy radioed to the finish line and said, you know, number 262 is out of the race. I climb out of the uh, the ambulance and I said, um, you better call them back and tell them I'm on my way. 262 is not out of the race. So I walked, uh, that was the closest to dropping out of a race. So um, I walked, uh, that mile took me about 30 mile, 30 minutes, you know, spending time in the ambulance. Um, and I walked a mile and a half to the finish. And as soon as they got there, they carried me to the medic tent, gave me an IV, and I hung out there for another hour and a half. Uh, wow. And that was my uh, slowest marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, what a great uh, story of perseverance, not giving up, willing to to push it. Now, obviously, if that was probably mile 15, it would have probably been a different story. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> if it was mile 15, it wasn't happening. Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, good good for you. And I just love the, that reality check of all the reasons why to finish. I mean, most importantly, it's your goal and you want to do it and, and you want to make sure that you accomplish it. But those other factors of just the inconvenience of flying way out there, the cost perspective, just all those things that sometimes motivate us to do the things to to keep pushing ourselves. What did, what, if any, did you learn anything about yourself or any specific, uh, uh, what, whatever, uh, uh, lesson from that experience? Um, I mean, I learned from that experience and from many of the experiences, the body can handle a lot. Um, and, uh, and I don't know where I read it and I don't know if it's factual, but um, I keep telling people this when I'm work training them 
and uh, when I'm in the race, when your body first tells you it's um it's time to stop, you can't go any further. You're about ten percent of your body's capability, so you you got so much more left. So yeah, I told that to my friend. I was pacing him in a hundred mile race, and uh, and he wanted to stop at mile forty three, and I'm like, all right, you're at ten percent. You got ninety percent more body juice left. Keep going. Uh, but anyway, yeah, no, it is amazing about the mind. Uh, I, I, I've I've said similar things, and it's been kind of tongue in cheek here uh, locally, just because it was an experience I had in a in another. It wasn't a race as far as uh, endurance, more of a ruck type of physical fitness type thing. And yeah, you know, the, the one I said, and I think I heard it from maybe like a Jocko or somebody like that. It was like, when you are mentally ready to quit, you're probably only about 40%. So I, I said 40% of, of where you could uh-huh. probably get, you're at 10%. Yeah. So uh, even more, <laughs> even more in the reserve and in, in your, in your example, but it is uh, a, an indication about how much people hold back from their capabilities because of their, you know, mindset's not where it needs to be. And, and, and they quit way premature than what they're capable of doing. Uh, and uh, people prove it wrong all the time as far as what they can do in addition to what they believe that they can do. Right. And, and that's what, that's what I really like about it. The mental aspect and challenging the mind. I mean, and that is, um, that is why I like endurance events because I like it's funny. You got to go through a lot of pain to get to the part where I really like it. I like it. I like to get to that point where my body, my mind, because the mind wants to quit way too soon. And I like to get to the point where the body wants to stop and you, you fight back and say, no, I'm going to go on. I like to get past that point. And that's really hurts when you're in it, but it's pretty cool when it's over. You're like, yeah, I was in control of that. I, I went further. Yeah, it, I mean, it's the classic reason why nine out of 10 times you're in the middle of an event questioning your sanity and you're like, well, I'm never doing this again. And then 30 minutes after you complete it, you're already looking for the next one. It's like that instant switch yeah. that happens in our minds that says, oh my gosh, I just accomplished something regardless of how awful I felt. And that's what's becomes addicting, I think. It's just like, okay, what else can I do to push myself and and certainly... Um, you know, I, I hear that story quite a bit. Yeah, that is, is definitely addicting and a challenge. And that's what, uh, and even in, in my, I really like the mental aspect, even with the running, but also in my professional career as a physical therapist, you know, working with people to get beyond that point and getting them to believe that they can do more, you know, because the mental aspect is so powerful and people want to quit before they need to or should and just pushing them a little further yeah um, and i like working with with friends and that's why i like i i enjoy coaching others you know there's a thrill about me accomplishing something but i get a bigger thrill when i watch friends or other people accomplish their goals whether it's a boston qualifier or a pr or or their first race i mean it's a thrill to to help people get to that point and realize their dreams yeah, I can I can completely relate to that, and that's fantastic to hear. As far as your own personal journey, you mentioned uh, 2003-ish when you kind of learned about the fit or had the, the the concept of doing the 50 states and with 50 different marathons. How many states did you had checked off at that point? Um, that was probably I did three in 2003, um, and I was probably at eight, maybe eight to 10. So you had a good 42 plus or so left when you made the commitment to do it. Now, was it a mindset? Did you, and then you said you didn't really look at the finish line until later. So when you make the commitment in 2003 to do it, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to do it by a certain date. Or did you already have that in mind as well? No, I had no idea about a certain date. And, um, and it was just, um, you know, I was just clicking away. And, you know, when, uh, when this was coming to an end, I started writing 
on Facebook every day for 51 days, I shared a different story about a different state. And it wasn't until then that I realized like in the early teens, I did seven North Carolina marathons in a row and I went like three years without adding a state. I'm like, why would I have done that? Um, Cause I wasn't really thinking about it. And um, what really got me to push to the end was in 2000, 17, I ran a race with a bunch of friends and we were all trying to run a Boston qualifier. And uh, I ran my Boston qualifier, but then the following year, um, I found out that, you know, when you qualify for Boston, then there's like, how much time do you beat it by? So I made my qualifier by like 53 seconds, but it turned out that year you had to beat it by like a minute and 20 seconds. So I didn't qualify. And then, so that was... January of 18. So that was actually the catalyst to get me to the end because instead of running one Boston in April, I'm like, okay, now I can run. There's a Haggai in Arkansas and there's a, a, the Oz Marathon in Kansas in April, you know, straddling the weekend of Boston. So then I started and then I did two more. Well, that was, yeah, that was 19. So yeah, that. That was January of 19. Instead of getting into Boston, I started knocking out all these other races. And uh, so by not getting into Boston, it kind of helped light the fire on getting these other states done. So uh, Double D and I went to Arkansas and ran a Haggai marathon. And, and then the next weekend, I was with a couple of friends running in Kansas. And then my two kids graduated in college in 19. And then I took them out to Wyoming and uh, I did two marathons there. They were, they were hanging out in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I ran a marathon in Idaho and Wyoming while they were just having a good time in Jackson Hole. Uh, Got it. <laughs> so so that, that's what lit the fire to the end. And uh, so then I did a bunch of marathons in 19. And it was like, okay, yeah, I did seven in 19. And then that was like, okay, 2020, we're, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. Then COVID hit. So that's why it took me until 22 to finally get it done. Yeah, so tell me, uh, walk us through that whole debacle and mindset. Because here you are, you're finally seeing the finish line. You're, you're making plans to finish this thing out in 2020. Obviously, the world takes a turn and, and, and everything shuts down. Was there panic in your mind was there like am i ever gonna finish this how was that whole mindset well, it was interesting because like i said all along i never had never had an end date and then when i finally pick an end date it's taken away it's like why did i pick an end date now i'm now i am feeling like i'm supposed to be done with this and i can't get it done so 20 and 21 were interesting because you know all into 21 it was uh there were tons of races canceled and moved. And so, um, like I said, I did, um, running races under COVID restrictions were basically like time trials. You're basically running by yourself in, uh, in Nebraska, they set us up every five minutes. They had a group of 20 go off and, uh, we, you know, had to mask up at the start and at the finish. And then uh, a month later I went out to, Oh, so on a side note after Nebraska, my wife decided I was never going to another marathon without her. So uh, for the final five, she joined me. So a month later, we were in Las Vegas. Again, another race, just waiting um, to see if it was going to happen. And then Revel, a, a downhill race series, said they were going to have a race. So they st they had three marathons in three consecutive days. And I think my, you would, you had to, there was only 262 spots in each race. So I, got in on the Friday race. So we went out there on Thursday and they started you every half hour in a group of 20, but then in that group of 20, you went off one at a time. Oh, wow. So uh, it was a downhill marathon, 5,000 feet downhill. And that was another one. I, I ran the entire race myself. You, you know, I, there were two people near me at the beginning and we separated and, and then I didn't see anyone again until like in the late twenties, just passing someone that was having a hard time who started a half hour early. Um, so that was an interesting thing. And then, um, and then even in the spring, I think I did three more that spring in 21 and my Oregon race, 
you know, they were like, it's on again, it's off again. They changed the course. And two weeks before the race, they said, okay, we're going to have a race. So I signed up and we went out to Oregon um, with my wife, hung out in some uh, wine country. Um, so that was it. It was just trying to finally knock out a few marathons. And uh, I think my last two was Fargo. Fargo is usually a May race, which always conflicted with uh, work or some other thing. But because of COVID, they had moved to September. So I was able to uh, do Fargo in September. And then uh, my last race, waiting until uh, April of 22 to get Maui done. So, yeah. So let's talk about Maui. Uh, was that always the goal? Number 50 was going to be Hawaii? Or is that just something? Oh, that yeah. Just one for sure. Once uh, I realized it was going to be a 50 state journey, um, I didn't know when it was going to end, but it was going to end in Hawaii. There was no doubt it was going to end in Hawaii. I didn't know which race. At one point, I thought I was going to run Honolulu. Um, but then I was, you know, just bouncing around. I decided I'd rather hang out in Maui. Uh, so I did the Maui Marathon, which used to be an October race and that's what it was going to be in 2020. And then because of COVID, they decided to do a full move to 21, I mean, to April and that's their new permanent date. And then when 21 came along in April, they canceled again. So I kept deferring and waiting until uh, they would have a race. So finally, uh, April of 22, I went out there. So yes, definitely a vacation. So I was out there with my wife, my son, my daughter, and her boyfriend. Um, so my race started at five in the morning. It was already 72 degrees with about 80% humidity. Um, and I saw them for the first time at like mile eight. So it's still, you know, kind of dark, uh, you know, about six in the morning. They were, they were up. It's funny. These, these kids that have been on this journey forever and uh, just to be there. And they were as excited as I was and they were up at 4am and they were on the course at like five 30 in the morning. And when I come running by, they were all wearing, we had team shirts. They were all wearing their team shirts, orange shirts. So I could see them. So I could see them like from a half mile away. Um, and then it was a point to point course. So they just, we played leapfrog the whole way. They would just drive by me and they were cheering for everyone in the race, not just me. Um, and, uh, quite, quite a journey, quite an experience. Yeah. I mean, and that's neat that they got to experience that ending with you having been part of that journey for so long and, and being at many of the races throughout their upbringing and seeing dad do this thing and, and to finally complete it. So uh, you, you mentioned how hot did it get during the race? Uh, you mentioned it being pretty warm starting. It, it got, I think by the end of the race, it was close to 80, but um, it felt a lot hotter because the sun was out. So in, you know, in Maui, there's the mountains. So the sun, it's daylight, but you don't have direct sunlight until we didn't get direct sunlight till uh, the mount, uh, the sun came over the mountains. So that was about mile 14. And then that last 10 K, it was like total sunbake i mean it was only maybe 78 to 80 degrees but it really felt hotter and uh, <clears throat> it was a little bit of a struggle and i did not want to feel pain on this race because i wasn't really concerned about the time i did have thoughts of running a bq which as you get older the bqs get slower so that was a 335 and uh, for most of the race i was in that 332 range and then I faded at the end and, uh, and I finished just over 335, which was fine. I mean, it, it didn't really matter. It was more about the experience. I remember coming down to the finish and I was um, about 100 yards from the finish line. And I knew I wasn't going to break 35, 335, so the pressure was off. And I saw my family there and we were able to just hug and embrace. And just I hugged each one of them and uh, kissed my wife. And then went off to the finish line and uh, I crossed the finish line and there were plenty of tears. It was quite, quite a journey. It was like just crossing that line after 30 years of just setting this goal out there and just persevering, like you mentioned, just 
the ups and downs along the way, the journey is not linear. It's not like you keep, you keep getting better. There's highs and lows and twists and turns and uh, just finally crossing it and having that done was just a relief. And, you know, throwing in COVID at the end of it was just like, it's just another test. I can handle it. It's just another test. That's right. I, I, you know, it's, I didn't fail. I just kept going. <laughs> right. Like you said, it's, it's only failure when you fail to get back up again and, and start running and, and you never at any point ever stopped uh, dreaming and, and keeping that, you know, goal ahead of you. So, well, congrats on that, man. What a, what an awesome journey. And just, uh, I know that you have tons of stories, you know, about all the races that you did. You kept mentioning BQ. Uh, I'm assuming you mean Boston qualifier, correct? I just want to clarify yeah, yeah, that. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, that's okay. I, I thought that I just want to clarify for listeners if, if that was uh, not explained. And, uh, so speaking of Boston, uh, you talk, kept talking about qualifying, qualifying. I know you've ran the Boston Marathon. Is that not correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Once, twice. How many times have you ran that one? I've run it five times. I was up there six times. In 2010, I, the one year I brought my entire family up there, I couldn't start because of some very bad knee pain. So I end up being a spectator, watching my friends and hanging out with my family. But I ran it in 05, 06, 08. 12 and then the last time i did it was 2016. got it would you say that that's your favorite marathon or is it or is there something unique about that that you love that is others? um you know it's one of my top three but it's just an ultimate experience um it's just because you have to qualify the meaning of it you know for an amateur runner you know it's just a big deal to get to boston and uh I remember uh, standing on the start line. Of the, when I did it the first time, it was a 12 o'clock start. Um, they have shifted now. It, they pulled it back to a 10 o'clock start. Um, but I remember standing on the start line and uh, just like I said, it was uh, 12 years and 14 marathons in. Um, finally getting there. And just crying at the start line, just, you know, another accomplishment, you know, a bucket list thing, a goal that I, you know, I set out 12 years earlier, never knowing that it was going to take this long, especially on my second race when I'm 17 seconds away. I was told, I was told back then, you can just write a letter and get in because it wasn't as popular as it is today. So they gave you a bonus 59 seconds, which... I didn't really know or understand and they would have let me in. And, uh, but I said, no, I'm going to, I'm not going to get in that way. I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to, and 12 years later, I'm like, I wish I wrote that dang letter <laughs> and just did it way back in the early nineties. But um, it was just rewarding to get there and to stand on that line. And, and then running the race is just, you know, I have so many unique memories, the little kids handing out oranges. Um, the Boston Red Sox game, you know, starts started at noon. So along the way, people would have makeshift scoreboards and you'd get updated on the score along the way. I mean, there were hundreds of these scoreboards along the way, keeping you updated. Um, and then the game would usually end as you were approaching the Sitco sign at mile 25 and and all those folks from the game would come out and it was just pandemonium. And, and then another distinct memory of Boston is uh, just before the halfway point passing Wellesley College, an all girls school, they, it's called the scream tunnel. And you can a half mile away, you start hearing the shriek and you're like, what is it? And it's these girls that are just screaming. And when you get to the college, it's a quarter mile and they have signs, hug me, kiss me. I'm from Texas or whatever. And, uh, I don't know if they do the kiss me anymore post COVID, but because um, I haven't been there, but it's just an incredible experience. And then you pass Boston College and BU, and it's just one party scene. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. It sounds really. Now, are these are runners actually stopping and and hugging and kissing these girls, or is it? Just oh yeah, like, oh yeah, oh, really? definitely. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That's hilarious. That, 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 you yeah, know, that the just one sounds like a big party. It is a big party. And in 2012, I ran with Double D and another friend of mine. And um, that was the year 
the temperatures went up to 92 degrees and they were, they were like begging people not to run the race. Uh, they, you know, did everything short of canceling it. Um, so we ran it as a parade, you know, we, we were just taking our time. We were in the first, the first wave, but double D said he stopped us at the start line and 9,000 people in our wave left. And then we took pictures and then he starts getting the crowd going. And we were the only ones there. The 9,000 people were down the hill and gone. And the second wave haven't started yet. So we're just, it's just the three of us in the middle of the road, just screaming. But, um, but yeah, so when we got to the Wellesley, I, um, you know, there was one girl, Dan from Texas, and there was one sign, kiss me, I'm from Texas, and hug me, I'm from Texas. I'm like, Dan, the next time we see a sign from Texas, you got to get it. Because a half mile later, we were going to see his wife and kids <laughs> and sister-in-law and brother-in-law. And we had like, and they were all wearing lime green shirts and they were in downtown Wellesley. So we run up to them and he is now holding a sign that says, kiss me, I'm from Texas. So, so it was a great, a great experience. Um, again, a very slow marathon, but an unbelievable experience. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, and I've voiced this on the show before, just, you know, I've, I've done some running. I'm not a huge runner or love running, but when I hear stories like this and I, and I look at the camaraderie that it provides and just that experience that can become of, you know, experience you know, going through these events, it does, does a peak an interest in me to kind of maybe reevaluate my own desire to do some of those things just because of those life lessons that you learn and really just the mental game, uh, to your point earlier, just how much mental building it does when you're pushing your body to those limits and that becomes yeah. addicting and, uh, certainly something I'm attracted to. So might have to reconsider my, uh, marathon boycott. Oh yeah. Come on. Well, let's do one. <laughs> all right. All right. So no, it's also about who you're with. It, it's, sure. it's about who you're with. It's a journey. It's whether it's family or friends. I remember very early on after I decided I was going to do the 50 States, I started going to races by myself and, uh, and the experience is just totally different. And I came back and I told a couple friends, I'm like, I'm going to continue this journey, but I am not doing any race by myself. again. you know, I did do a couple, including that Nebraska disaster. Um, but uh, it's about the people you're with and you can go, you can go to the crummiest race or even like when you're going out to, you know, where do you want to go to have a good time? It doesn't really matter where you go. It's the people you're with. Um, and that's what, that's what made this journey so special is, I mean, I remember, I have distinct memories about everything. And I, you know, when I was writing my 50 stories and who was I with, who was I with at the time and, and what did we do and everything about the race outside the race. Um, it's just good to share these experiences with people. Yeah. They make them, they make them more memorable. Sure. I and completely agree. And that's the whole reason I even did, you know, the running that I've done up to this point is these relay events or CSOPs type of scenarios where you're with a team and, and it's not the running as much that I'm attracted to as much as it's the, well, you know, what we call in F3, the second F it's just that fellowship and that opportunity to be with those guys and build those memories. And that's what you talk about on the back end. It's, it's not, you know, your leg or what you ran or, or anything like that. It's that whole shared experience and uh, the stories that you get out of it. So I completely, sure. and, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, dam to dam, which is a big relay um, in our area that is, is basically F3 and there's plenty of other teams, but it's an F3 event. And, uh, and I've done it with DD and cake boss and pusher and uh, bonsai. And, and every time, you know, what's when we're driving back home, like what was the best part of the race? I'm like van time. The, the race is, the race is irrelevant. It's van time. I mean, that, right. the time you spend in the van, just cutting up and being with each other, the fellowship is so powerful. And that's what I remember. And that, that's, what's so cool about F3 is just the camaraderie, you know, like I said, I don't often post. And when I do, it's, it's uh, in the fort. And when I show up, it's just instant welcoming. It's like, I never was gone. Um, I just feel welcome, supported, and, 
you know, and, and just appreciate how these men support each other and are there for each other. And uh, it's just an incredible experience. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And that's why I love it. And, and um, most of the listeners on this show are F3 guys and, and they resonate with everything you just said, because that's what keeps us coming back in the gloom is that shared brotherhood experience and that welcoming that uh, we can have regardless of what city we show up with. If we walk in the gloom and with an F3 shirt or without one and just mention your F3 nickname, everyone treats you like a brother and uh, like you haven't won anywhere. So I totally understand that. Well, brother, man, we could probably talk forever. I know you have a million stories, but for the sake of time, we're going we're gonna to start wrapping things up here. Oh, darn. I, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, you know, I, I typically ask a couple questions when I finish up a show or as we close a show. So I'm going to I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. Usually I ask, you know, what are three tips someone can give to get somebody on their own hunt for wellness? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have you kind of maybe rebrand it to if a guy wanted to start doing some marathon runs, what are three tips that you would give a guy that would want to maybe start training so that they can accomplish their first marathon? Okay. Three tips to get the marathon. Uh, one is take baby steps. Um, um, and then the biggest thing in training is number two is consistency. Uh, so you start slow and just stay consistent. Unfortunately, you know, people like, okay, I'm going to do this. And they set this goal. And then uh, the next day they go run six miles as fast as they can. Um, and then, you know, it burns out and you get hurt. So, um, Start slow, be consistent, and um, and I would say um, be well-rounded. So it's just not running. It's taking care of your body with its, um, some cross-training or core exercises, you know, building your hips and core. Um, you obviously know about this. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of runners, you know, are so imbalanced because they end up with, uh, you know, the hamstrings get strong, but the glutes get weak and the hips are weak. Um, and people may have uh, knee or ankle problems, but a lot of it started from weak hips and weak ankles. So I guess on, this, on the spot, three things is um, start slow, be consistent, and, uh, and do uh, some cross-training to build your core and hips. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think that's great advice. I, I think, you know, I see guys do it all the time. They set these goals of, wanting to do these races. And to your point, they kind of go out of the gate burning, you know, with, with a lot of speed or they, or they overcommit to how many miles they are going to get on a certain day or certainly in a week. And instead of building up to it, and I know there's tons of like training apps and things out there now that that's helpful. Um, do you use anything like that? Or, or do you, at this point, you're pretty dialed into exactly what you do. Yeah, I, I write, I mean, I read a lot and I, I look at different training plans. Um, I write my own plan. And that's, that's another thing is if you have a goal, a big goal like that, any goal, no matter what it is, running or some fitness goal or life goal, um, set a realistic goal and then build a plan. Because, um, you know, a goal without a plan is just a dream. So um, that's what I do for a lot of people that I'm working with. I build them plans, you know, long-term plans. So it's step-by-step. Step. Um, so it's important to have a plan and uh, you write it down and, and keep taking a look at it. And if you're finding someone, something on the internet, you know, just follow a plan, a steady plan, instead of just kind of making it up as you go along. Got it. Well, man, once again, I really appreciate you. And I do have one final question, but before I do that, uh, sippy cup, uh, do us a favor, give us a little bit of uh, information about how we can find you. If there's a guy or a gal that listened to the show and they're interested in to learn more about you, you mentioned making plans. I know that you're a physical therapist, but I also know that you work with, uh, aspiring runners and some other things. So maybe you can give us a little context of that and, and really how we can reach out to you. Um, yeah. So, uh, I am a physical therapist, uh, and I actually work mainly with children and adults with developmental disabilities. So I don't necessarily work with athletes, but I do, um, you know, obviously 
my running friends were always asking me what they can do about certain injuries. I'm sure you get that all the time. Um, so, uh, so I am working with people. I'm right now I'm training a couple people for a 5k. I'm training someone for a 340 marathon, a 350 marathon, someone who wants to break four hours for the first time and someone who just wants to complete their first marathon, probably do it in like five and a half hours. So you can reach me, uh, email, which is um, ptspaul7 at gmail.com. Um, shoot me an email. Um, you can also message me on Facebook, Paul Martino. Um, and uh, if I have the time to work with someone, I can set up a plan or at least talk people through some things. Uh, yeah, I'd love to help people um, achieve goals. That's uh, the greatest thrill right now. Well, I appreciate that. And thanks for giving us that information. Now, do you use the Slack channels at all through the F3 Nation? I do not. Okay. Just curious, because if you did, that, that was going to be another avenue. But it uh, sounds like the email and then the... Um, so what? why PTS, Paul? Uh, PTS is uh, my company, uh, oh, Premium okay. Therapy Services. Got it. Okay. PTS, Makes... Paul. And seven, PTS, Paul, seven. I'm the seventh son in my family. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so I, have, you... I have six older brothers. Oh, my gosh. Any of them run? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, you know what? It's funny. They, they all played different sports. And uh, growing up in White Plains, New York in the 1970s, the uh, quarterback of the high school football team was always a Martino. Um, and then I came along and I'm like, no, nah, I don't play football. I'm going to go. <laughs> so the dynasty ended, huh? The football yeah, it ended. Yes. Uh, stay, stay. You did the competitive walking. So yeah, that was, yeah uh... <laughs> don't mess with me. I'm a race walker. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, Paul, uh, once again, I appreciate you. And so my last question is this, what is your definition of wellness? My definition of wellness is, um, uh, taking care of your body in so many different ways, um, you know, eating right, sleeping right, exercising, um, and just having uh, good positive relationships. I think that gets overlooked. I mean, your positive relationships, the people you're with really affects your health. So um, I kind of just like bad food, you know, I stay away from bad food and bad people and just surround myself with good people. And uh, it's, it's funny, you know, sounds a little corny, but like when, like I said, I don't often show up but when I show up and post up, you know, it's like a, it's like a healthy snack. You know, you, you just get around, you get around some good people and it really just lifts your spirit and your soul. Thanks for listening to the hunt for wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com, on the nation Slack at Bones, or Twitter at HFW Podcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness. <laughs>